Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. It's a delight to be back with you again today. And we're going to take a look here at how we can leverage our network to build a vertically integrated operation platform. Brennan Degner is a 33-year-old multifamily investor with over $1 billion in transaction experience. Currently, he owns and operates over 3,000 units across five states. He built an operating platform that includes in-house construction and property management joint ventures. So Brennan, tell us about an experience that helped you to be who you are today. First of all, thanks for having me, Dr. Allen. Nice to meet you. I would say kind of thinking through what I I see as my, you know, my formative years. I kind of think back to I was 10 years old and my my dad and I bought an old Jeep that we had the intentions of fixing up and rebuilding. And between the ages of about 10 and 18, that was a project that we worked on almost every weekend. And kind of thinking through what I do today and how that helped shape my business today is that was kind of my first value add project. So mm-hmm. I had to learn how to, to budget things, how we had the intentions of trying to fix it up and make sure that we weren't too underwater on it. And at the end of the day, the uh, it was a terrible investment project, but it, it helped me learn kind of that process of looking at value, looking at future value based on changes that you might make to an asset and, and what that does and, and how that's either positive or negative over time um, when you go to exit something. So I kind of look back at that jokingly and I say that was like my first value add deal and that was I think the only deal I've ever done that I lost money on or I lost my dad's money on because uh, <laughs> you just don't do well fixing up, up cars like that and selling yeah. them. So I, I think that really kind of shaped my mentality over that that uh, you know eight year or so time span and, and led to kind of how I initially looked at things and how I look at things today. Everything we do is value adds. Everything we do has a you know an older, dilapidated, or underutilized component to it that we mm-hmm. add value to. And it's a you know, we try and be very scientific about it. So I think that really helped shape that path for me. Well, it sounds like a really valuable experience. And even as you grow older, probably you'll think back on it, particularly the time you were able to spend with your dad. It's yeah, probably even growing even more valuable as time goes on there. So tell us about how you started your real estate investment journey. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's it's an interesting story. I, uh, I was in college. I, I had the ambition or intentions of going to law school. My junior year, I read a book that I'm sure your listeners are familiar with called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that kind of changed what I wanted to do. I kind of looked back and in addition to the car stuff, I kind of grown up around construction. And then on my dad's side and on my mom's side, she always got me very interested in finance. And when I read that book, it really kind of clicked for me that like, oh, this is how I can combine a couple of the things that I've been interested in you know, construction and finance and really build a career with it. So I shifted away from any intentions of going to law school. My first kind of experience in real estate was basically just shadowing the landlord who owned the like little student housing development that I lived in with him to some like planning committee meetings. You know, he taught me what a cap rate was, like very, very fundamental basic stuff. 
And I decided that's what I wanted to do. And so I went to University of Arizona. I moved out to Los Angeles shortly after graduating and I jumped in. I I got an internship with uh, two different real estate firms that I was working at at the same time. One of them uh, that I ended up working for, MJW Investments, for seven years before I started my own business, offered me a position and just kind of grew from there. And so I think, you know, it kind of goes back to that book and understanding, you know, assets and liabilities and building cash flow for yourself and how that kind of piqued my interest. And and then around, so that was 2011, I graduated and around 2015 was when I bought my first deal or did my first deal on my own. And, and then that led to a few more that were side projects for me at the time, which then, you know, I ended up leaving and, and launching DB around 2017, 18. And obviously the, the rest is history. We've grown into you know, 3000 units since then uh, across five states. Well, interesting uh, trajectory there and uh, kind of unusual uh, for a lot of real estate investors. They don't have the opportunity of actually working with a real estate investment firm, Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, that uh, seems like a very intelligent way to actually begin your career there. Well, the market, as most people are beginning to understand, has gotten fairly volatile within the last year, and a lot of uncertainties still seem to lie ahead. But talk to us a little bit here, Brennan, about your most current deal in this volatile market and how that differed in this volatile market from what you had been doing in previous years. Yeah, the the most recent transaction we closed was a 200 in 96 unit projects. We closed in the mid $60 million range in Las Vegas. As our first deal in Las Vegas, we had hired a new vice president to oversee Vegas and Phoenix a little over a year ago. So, you know, there's a, there's kind of a buildup period to that. And this was his first deal and our first deal in the market. And typically, historically, most of our deals would be uh, 60 days from, you know, execution of PSA to closing the deal type of time frame. And I want to say this was closer to six months. It was a grind. We went in and out of different lenders, in and out of the equity partners, uh, pricing adjustments, all, all that kind of stuff. And it was all because the goalpost kept moving on almost a daily basis as far as what debt you could get, what risk tolerance looked like, how banks were underwriting things. And so luckily, and I think it'll end up being one of our, our better better transactions and really uh excited about it. Luckily, we ended up getting it closed and it just came down to persistence. We, we didn't give up. You know, We had a, a pretty large non-refundable deposit on it. So we had a lot of reasons not to give up. But you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we found a, a way to uh, to structure a deal and make it work. And, and it ended up, I think, being one of uh, our most exciting transactions. So you compare that to how we were getting deals done, you know, late 21, early 22. It's massively different. You know, we probably put a put an offering memorandum out and we, we raise capital a bunch of different ways. We have institutional clients, we have private equity, we do some a little bit of syndication, we have high net worth uh, or family offices, like we have a little bit of everything. And so late 21, early 22, usually we would 
and put together a deck and we kind of have an idea of who is going to do it or we would you know, call it make the market and try and push it out to as many new groups as we can in an effort to use that as a as a ticket to jumpstart a new relationship and you probably have five to eight term sheets from different different groups on a deal and then you kind of see okay do i want to go down that road with a joint venture partner or do i want to syndicate on on the most recent deal it was a lot more relationship targeted so you know focusing on the debt side on, on doing banks that we had holdings with and we had an existing relationship with on the equity side it was our first deal with the equity group but my partners uh had had like a 20 plus year relationship with uh with some of the uh the key personnel at the, at the at the equity shop, so like it was a lot less transactional and a lot more relationship driven that ended up you know getting the stars to align and getting the deal closed. And you attribute that mostly to the volatility in the market, or was it Las Vegas? Was it the no? Dollar I think itself? it was definitely purely the volatility. I think Vegas has really emerged on a lot of investors, not all, but a lot of investors' radar again as a, uh, a market with relatively good fundamentals, especially depending on where you're at. And the, the asset was positioned pretty well just north of Henderson, so a big kind of expanding, good demographic area. So I think it, it, it definitely had more to do with the changing landscape on the debt than anything. It's really hard to get equity behind you when you know fifty to seventy percent of the rest of the capital stack is so uncertain uh, going into the deal. So mm-hmm. for them to allocate time, resources, and capital to it, they want to know that you can execute on the debt that you put together in your offering memorandum or, or in your underwriting, and that was really challenging for for a while. So mm-hmm. luckily, the the lender that we have, you know, I didn't really get into it before, but the DB partnership is is a partnership with a, a relatively large family office, a pretty strong balance sheet. And the lender we ended up using was a group that they had, or we have substantial holdings with. And, and so it was more of a um, private client uh, execution than what we typically have done. Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. So you have vertically integrated. That's a little bit atypical in terms of uh, investor groups. So tell us about your journey to uh, vertical integration. Um, and it's a little, what we've set up is a little bit of a hybrid of being vertically integrated. So we partnered, and that's why I'm in, you know, in our lead in our, our property management platform is really more of a joint venture than a true property management group that we started. So what I realized, and this goes back to kind of my, my role prior to starting DB, is that control in what we do is really important. So, you know, control over uh, key personnel, on-site personnel, transparency, all that kind of stuff. For us to really perform at a high level, we need to control as many aspects of the deal process as possible. 
And when you start to invest across multiple markets, a lot of times, especially on the construction side, it's really difficult to replicate that level of control and that, that level of kind of deal execution across multiple markets because you're dealing with a different set of subs and resources and talent. And so I started working with a group called United Renovations on the construction side in around 2015 and, and really felt like they had done a good job building a construction company. They were one of the largest multifamily focused uh, renovation groups in the country at the time. Uh, they were bought by Katerra. And what I realized is that they did a good job of putting together a platform where it looked and felt comparable from market to market. So like their, their execution was very comparable in Denver as it was in say a Texas market in Salt Lake City and so on and so forth. And so when I started DB, my focus for multiple years was recruiting some of the people I really thought highly of at United over to kind of build something similar. And so I was lucky in doing that. My partner, Chris Faber, was a account manager and executive at United. When they were bought by Katera, he left, spent some time in another company, and then I convinced him to come work with us. And we launched uh, Peak Renovations about a year after that, so it would have been 2019. And that company's grown exponentially. And more than anything, it's allowed us to set up our own kind of in-house United, where we get transparency over cost, transparency over skill sets and resources. So we make sure that our projects always have you know, the best superintendents, the best focus on property management best margins, all that kind of stuff, and that we can kind of make purchasing decisions with DB in mind. So it really helps us add efficiency to all of our projects. And, and I'd say that's where we benefit the most is just that ability to replicate uh, across our entire portfolio what, uh, because of the relationship with Peak. Uh, Peak. And then on the property management side, we recently joint ventured into a like a white label type of uh, property management entity that's run by a much larger property management group. So a group called Redstone Residential out of Utah we really got their start in building a, uh, a student housing focused management platform. I think they have 30,000 beds or so. They slowly transitioned into conventional as well. And we did a joint venture with them to oversee our entire portfolio, but also get some of that transparency and control over the allocation of resources and assets and stuff like that to our portfolio. So that, that side's more of a hybrid. The peak renovations is really a true, like we own mm -hmm. peak renovations, we have control over peak renovations as opposed to the management side's more of a a bit of a hybrid of, mm -hmm. of that scenario. A joint venture with them rather than straight out ownership. Yeah. Well, how do you currently capitalize your deals and how has that changed since you started investing? Yeah, so the first deals we did were, were really capitalized by my partners. So my partners in DB are a family office that started VCA Animal Hospitals. Um, so if you have pets, you probably come across VCA at some point in your life. And so I went to school with Devin, my partner, I went to college with. And uh, around 2015, we started talking. He had kind of seen what I'd been doing as director of asset management at MJW and the skill set. And I was also going to get my master's in real estate development from USC at the time. He kind of saw that. You know, he had family capital. He said, let's let's try and do a deal together and see how it goes. We did one. It was a nine unit deal in Pico Union that we bought for like 800,000 bucks. 
did really well. That led to the next one. I think we bought around six deals on the like six to 15 unit range in Los Angeles over about a year or two. And at that point, I was like, all right, this is taking more time than my day job. Like, I got to either slow this down or, or focus on it. And at that point in time, I made a, a decision to focus on it. And so deals one through like six were all, you know, I would take an acquisition fee, I, I'd roll it in, so I didn't really have capital to invest. And they would be the joint venture partner on that deal. And then when I left, we decided to focus more on growing a outside investor base and using that to build diversification for his family's investments. So instead of you know putting multiple millions into one deal, we were able to build an operating platform and maybe allocate that same amount over three or four deals and, and really build a business around it too, which we've been able to do. So in, when I, I started kind of focusing on it, that's when we started raising outside capital. And I, I would say our first deals were the toughest. And that was a mixture of smaller kind of emerging manager private equity in the like two to $5 million check space and some family offices that we had built some relationships with. We took on some co-GP partners to introduce us to capital. So the first, the next deals where we started raising outside money, had a little bit of syndicated money, kind of country club investors. It was really just about getting deals done. So like kind of threw terms to the one side and just focused on, okay, let's get the next deal done and do really well on it. And then really build a track record for ourselves. And so that's when we started kind of building the, the fundraising machine. And I would say as of the last couple of years, as we've tried to do focus on buying uh, larger scale, so really 200 or so units and up, that's when we've migrated more to you know the, the middle market private equity, which I usually see as like the two to $500 million fund space. And then some of our newer investors are more institutional, you know, billion plus dollar organizations. So it's really kind of migrated over over the last few years. We still do kind of try and piece together on each deal opportunities for all of our investors to the fullest extent possible. So like on the Vegas deal, our joint venture partner wrote a $25 million equity check. We put in two and a half and then we raised two and a half from like our most loyal base of investors that are usually in like the one to $200,000. So we were able to kind of package in a little bit of both in that deal. And that's what we like to do. Well, interesting trajectory there. So based on your success, what are some recommendations that you have for individuals just getting started in real estate investing? You know, I think one of the reasons we've seen the growth that we've had, you know, pretty what I I feel is a pretty fast pace is we were focused on one asset type and one really business plan. So we weren't deal people or deal teams. We weren't, you know, one day finding an industrial deal that we had tried to put together and then an office one and kind of chasing different deals. We really focused on staying in our lane, in our markets, in our business plan type, and we will continue to do that. And so I, I would say once you figure out what type of asset class it is that you want to invest in, whether it's you know multifamily, office, industrial, any of those, like like become an expert at that and focus on that. And then, you know, we have some plans to venture outside of that, but it would probably be through partnerships with, you know, other in, you know, industry experts in that field. I wouldn't ever, I don't think, jump into a different asset class. So I, I think that's one of my main recommendations that I give people that when I kind of look at other peers of mine that kind of started out around a similar time and similar access to different resources and we grew significantly faster than, 
it typically comes back to that that more focused um, approach than just trying to chase deals. So mm-hmm. that would be the main thing I'd, I'd recommend because at that point, you can become a true expert in your field and add a lot more value to your investor base. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because uh, there definitely is that shiny object uh, syndrome. Yeah within yeah. real estate investing. And it's it's very easy to get lost in that. Well, Brendan, tell our audience what it is that you have to offer and how it is they can take advantage of that. Yeah, I think the best thing we have to offer is to join our newsletter and, and, uh, and deal platform so you can get transparency and access to what it is we're seeing, how we're looking at the market and potential deal opportunities. And you can do that by uh, going to our website and uh, going to uh, the bottom of the page and clicking on the sign up tab or going to contact us and sending me an email uh, and be happy to chat more about potential opportunities. And all of that information, of course, is in our show notes. And just the last few minutes we have together here, share with us why being a real estate operator, specifically in multifamily, and is an efficient and a good way to build wealth. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the most, I, I think, key differentiators in building wealth is uh, you know, preservation of capital, obviously. And I think that multifamily is, it continues to be a, a very good risk-adjusted uh, investment focus. So at, at the foundation, that's why you know I continue to focus on, on multifamily as I, I feel like given other asset classes where they kind of trade in terms of yield that that from a risk-adjusted basis, multifamily still makes the most sense to me and it's what I know. More than anything, I think as an operator, uh, especially when you're starting out focused on building the wealth and not necessarily preserving, is that it allows pretty substantial multiples on your capital, if you, especially if you do well with promote and carried interest and fees and all that kind of stuff that really help kind of pro- propel you to the wealth building side. And then you can kind of settle in and focus more on what I think really helps build long-term wealth, which is cash flow from understanding how to operate those assets and investing in those assets. So I think, you know, early in, in, the career with a focus on on achieving multiples on your capital and then being able to kind of pivot to focusing on cash flow. Multifamily just ends up being a, a great asset class to be able to do that with as an operator. Well, it makes a lot of sense. Brennan, a lot of good information you shared with us. So thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Enlightened investors, don't go yet. I have just a couple of quick requests. You know the drill, like, share, and subscribe. But we also need your help to build our audience, so please go to your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and review. I'll be most grateful. Until next time, prosper and live abundantly. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.